Excuse me. Uh, just for the benefit of the recording, I'd just like to mention again, we're doing Precious Va'era tonight. And if you've got the stone, Chumash, it's on page 320. If you take a look at verse, Pasad Yud Aleph, Hashem tells Moshe what he's told him a few times. Speak to Paro, tell him to send out the Jewish people, let my people go. In The Jewish people didn't listen to me. How will Paro listen to me? And besides that, I don't speak well, I have a speech impediment. Now, this is a theme that Moshe spoke about when Hashem first asked him when he, uh, that encounter in the snether burning bush. This is certainly the theme that we find at the very end of last week's parsha when Moshe complains about how this mission has been completely unsuccessful. It's only made things much worse for the Jewish people. And now Moshe says something quite similar here. And interestingly, when we look at Pasuk Lamed, verse 30, turning the page, the end of this chapter, the Torah again says, I don't speak well. I have a speech impediment. How will Paro listen to me? I just mentioned parenthetically that for those who are with us at Kesher on Shabbos, we're going to speak about hard of speaking, hard of hearing Moshe's credibility problem. Uh, so we look more closely at that particular uh, turn of phrase where Moshe says that the Jewish people didn't listen to me. How will Paro listen to me? But that's just as a parenthetical observation. My point for right now is we find Moshe repeatedly and consistently and with great conviction saying, I'm not the one for the job. I'm not well suited to it. This proposal, this idea of redeeming the Jews is one that I support, but it's not going well. And I, I don't have the capacity to be the one to accomplish this uh, mission. So the Al-Sheikh says, he proposes, he asks a number of questions in the verses that follow. So the beginning of Perak Zion now, he asks a series of questions. I'm not going to go through the questions. There are about 10 or 12 questions, but I'm going to explain the resolution that fits very closely into the language of these opening verses in chapter seven. So again, what we've seen so far is that Moshe is very reluctant. He's the reluctant redeemer. And Al-Sheikh suggests there may be four reasons why, proposes four concerns that Moshe had. In addition to what he keeps saying that I'm not skillful, I don't have the gift of communication, but underlying it, those were sort of the proximate reasons. But the underlying reason for his reluctance is four. He suggests four reasons. He says that he didn't want to embark on this mission because of the honor of God. He says, Al kvod Elohim, because a person's agent, a person's emissary is like him. So Moshe is acting on behalf of God. So when Paro throws Moshe out, when Paro says, who is God that I should listen to him? When Paro dismisses and is, is uh, 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 antagonistic or, or even insulting towards Moshe, so Moshe said, look, I'm representing you, Hashem. So this mission is not a good one because I am uh, like the, the conduit 
for Paro to insult you because the messenger of a person is like the person himself. So therefore, if Paro insults me, it's like he's insulting God. So I'm concerned for Kvod Elohim, the honor of God. The other reason is, the second reason he mentions for the second concern Moshe had is Al Hanogel and Moshe Hatzma regarding Moshe's own honor. He says, Why should he exert himself and humiliate himself and suffer the indignation of Paro's insolence towards him for no purpose? What's the, the, the benefit to be gained by this? It would be best if Hashem would, if he plans to deliver uh, Makos, plagues upon Paro to punish the Egyptians for what they've done to the Jewish people, that's great. He says, Hello, tov, tov, Hashem has It would be much better for God to rain down all the plagues upon Paro himself. And then once Paro has been completely devastated, then Moshe says, send me to Paro and then I'll take the Jews out. Then that will be successful. Why do you send me every time? And remember, Hashem already told Moshe, he's not going to release them really till after all of these plagues. So what's the point, says Moshe? It's not worthwhile for me either. He's got a, fourth, a third reason why. He says, Yisrael. He says, maybe if I go to them, to Paro, and you tell me already Paro is not going to let them go, then along the way, he might oppress the Jewish people even more and more. That's what happened the first time. The first time I went to Paro and I said, let my people go, Paro threw me out and he said to his uh, um, uh, bureaucracy, to the people who are responsible for overseeing the, the Hebrew slaves, don't give them any hay, don't give them any straw and tell them that their quota is not diminished at all. They've got to produce the same number of bricks without any straw, get your own straw. And as a result, the Jewish people were oppressed even more and were beaten even more, and it got much worse for them. So Moshe says, I'm concerned about the honor and the well-being of the Jewish people. And even though you say, well, they've already been so severely oppressed, like somebody once said, a wise comment, there's no situation, however dire, that cannot be made worse by mismanagement. So maybe things are very bad for them now, but they could still get worse. The Egyptians could find a way to be even more sadistic and more uh, uh, arduous in the labor and intensify the bondage. So what am I doing? What's the point of all of this? It might get even worse for the Jewish people, like I said the first time. That's the third reason. The fourth reason for his reluctance is maybe he says now is a propitious time. It's an ace ratzon You've told me I should go to Paro and I should bring out the and I should tell him to bring out the Jewish people. But there's a whole series of 10 plagues that are going to take place. According to our tradition, by the way, each plague lasted about um, a week, and then there are a few weeks in between. So the 10 plagues took up most of the year. So Moshe says, this program of all the plagues, one after the other, I'm worried that if now is a propitious time, if Hashem is uh, uh, f uh, like favorably inclined, so to speak, to redeem the Jewish people now, if the weeks and months pass, maybe Shema Yigrom Hachet, maybe the deservedness of the Jewish people will wane. Perhaps now the suffering and other factors altogether, they're worthy of being redeemed. But if you don't take them out now, if you embark on this whole series of plagues, maybe their ledger will be assessed 
in a more critical way and they won't be worthy anymore. And he, he even says that, although it hadn't happened yet, but something broadly similar happened when they went into the, into the, the wilderness because they were supposed to march into Eretz Israel right away. They committed the sin of the Miragli and that catastrophe led to a 40 year delay. If Hashem had taken them Derech Eretz Plishtim, they would have gone from Egypt right into the land of Israel. There would have been no opportunity for all of those setbacks, which eventually led to the death of the entire generation, at least the men, maybe not the women. And it would have been, and that was disastrous. So it says Al Sheikh Moshe was concerned. If we do something similar now, maybe the opportunity or the the uh, suitability of the Jewish people for redemption, which is presently in place, it may wane, it may, it may, uh, it may die on its feet. And then who knows, they, they may end up in, uh, in the um, uh, uh, servitude for longer. So let's do it now. Don't, don't send me to Paro again and again for all the plagues. Those are the four reasons why Moshe was the reluctant redeemer. So says Al-Sheikh, I think of a very beautiful explanation, explains each one. He says that if we take a look at the first pasuk, so here is where his, uh, the like uh, close reading of the language of the Torah is so brilliant. So I'm looking at pasuk at Perek Zayin, at pasuk Aleph. I am designating you as a like a, an authority over Pharaoh. Elohim doesn't mean a god. It means, though, an authority. You will be in a position of superiority. You will be a superior, a superior authority over Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your, like your prophet, your spokesman. Now, earlier, Alshia uh, points out that earlier it says that Aaron will speak on your behalf. But here we have a different metaphor in which, uh, in which Hashem says to Moshe, you will be Elohim to Paro, and Aaron will be your Novi, will be your prophet. So he says the reason for that, that particular phraseology is that your concern was that if you are my agent and Paro is insolent to you, then it's as if he's insolent to me, to God. And you're concerned for my honor. According to my strategy, though, Hashem says to him, according to Al-Sheikh, now I, Hashem, I'm going to be one stage removed. You are going to be like the director, and Aharon is going to be your representative. So when Paro uh, is uh, dismissive or arrogant or insolent towards Aharon, so Aharon is your representative. So he's going to be, it's as if Paro is insolent towards you. But because I am one degree removed, so it doesn't affect me. So you're concerned that when you come in my name, etc., I'm not concerned about that anymore because now you're going to become, so to speak, on your own authority. Aharon is going to be your agent. When Paro says to Aaron, get out of here, I'm not interested in, in your um, uh, you know, demands, plagues, etc. So that will be an insult to you, but it won't be an insult to me. Okay, that's what he says. That explains this. A uh, notable turn of phrase, uh, I don't remember seeing an explanation of that particular phrase, which is so uh, uh, like um, 
uh, fits in so closely to his analysis, to the analysis of Auschwitz, as, as we've just suggested now. I found that very fascinating. Then the next pasuk in pasuk base, so what was the second concern? Moshe's second reason why he was so, why he was the reluctant redeemer is that he said, for my own honor, it is so stressful and, and like soul destroying for me to trouble myself to go to Paro and it's humiliating. It throws me out every time. What's the purpose? So Al-Sheikh says, don't worry, don't think about your inconvenience, about the trouble it is for you. He says, because you know what? You're getting the biggest prize of all. What is the greatest prize that a person, the greatest experience, the greatest elevation, the greatest uh, a bliss that a person can experience in this world or even in the next world is communing with God, to be the prophet, to be the one who has the opportunity to enjoy that personal relationship with God. He says, What greater benefit can there be to a person than to be in my presence all the time, time after time? Every time I need to speak to you, I appear to you. So he says, don't worry about the trouble that you're putting yourself to because I'm sending you to Paro every time you are enjoying the bliss, the communing with God. It's like a person who is able to, to meditate or to pray at an exalted level and feel that communication. And it genuinely is a two-way communication, a conversation with God. There's no greater level than that. Many, many years ago, I used to learn with uh, Rabbi Yoshua uh, Hartman, Josh Hartman, he was in those days. And we, uh, he was newly married, living in Sanhedrin Merchevet. I was not married. I was a young uh, yeshiva boy, a few years older than me, certainly much more learned then and now. But we learned together. And I remember asking him a question, and he told me an answer, I believe, in the name of Rav Hutner. And the question, just very briefly, was... Uh, Moshe prayed a short prayer to his regarding his sister's illness, Miriam. So Rashi asked, why didn't he pray at greater length? So that people shouldn't say his sister is suffering and he's praying at length. So therefore Moshe prayed briefly. So I said, but surely the uh, endeavor of Moshe to pray on behalf of his sister is the way that he is uh, like importuning God on her behalf. So why would he be subject to criticism? His sister is in distress and he's praying at length. He's praying at length on her behalf. So I think he told me in the name of Rav Hutner that the opportunity to pray to Hashem is a blessing in itself. The fact that his sister was ill gave Moshe not so much an excuse, but it gave him an impetus to pray and to enjoy the communion with God. He might have been inclined to uh, like luxuriate in that spiritual bliss and to pray at length because he had that opportunity for an audience with God. But he resisted that temptation because he wanted to bring about her healing as quickly as possible. And therefore he's articulated the most concise prayer we can think of, El na rafa na la. 
So from there we see, and we see the similar idea elsewhere as well, I don't have time to go into it, that actually for a person, especially someone like Moshe Rabbeinu or other great people, and maybe even for lesser people, the opportunity to pray to Hashem, to commune with God is, a, is a, a, an experience of bliss. So therefore, Hashem said to Moshe, don't be worried about your uh, like inconvenience, and that's Pasuk base. You uh, speak in accordance with what I am commanding you. Aaron, your brother, will speak to Paro to send out the Jewish people. And therefore, says the Al-Sheikh that you are actually getting the greatest prize of all. The fact that you have to go to Paro every time gives you an opportunity to speak to me. We can, we're, going, we're going to commune. We're going to have like a, uh, we're going to... Um, uh, have a personal consultation regularly, you're getting the greatest prize there is. Then his third concern was, the third reason for his reluctance was that the Jewish people might suffer more, just like happened the first time. The, like, threats to Paro uh, um, antagonized him, and he persecuted the Jewish people all the more, so I'm concerned for the Kvod on Shal Yisrael. So for that, we have quite a simple answer in Pasuk Gimel. This is top of page 324, if you've got the stone chumash. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I will harden his heart, and I will increase my wonders in Mitzrayim. Basically, he's saying to Moshe, don't worry about Paro persecuting the Jewish people even more. He's going to be buffeted with so many plagues, such severe uh, uh, suffering, the Egyptians will be so overwhelmed, they won't have any time to oppress you. They won't have any, any bandwidth, as we say nowadays. They won't have any energy. They won't have any resources with which to oppress you. They'll be so preoccupied with their own survival, with recovering from this series of plagues. Don't worry about how they'll persecute the Jewish people. I'm going to increase my wonders in Mitzrayim. They won't have any uh, spare time or resources to oppress you anymore. Once the plagues begin, don't worry about oppression any longer from the Egyptians. Finally, and this is the most interesting, uh, in a way, the most, let's say, subtle one. It's a bit midrashic, even a bit Kabbalistic. The fourth reason was uh, Moshe was concerned that this protracted process of punishing the Egyptians, yeah, they may deserve it very well, but as the weeks and months go by, who knows if the Jewish people will still be worthy? Maybe their own sinfulness will overwhelm them, and the matter will be uh, like reevaluated in the heavenly court, and the plan to redeem the Jewish people will no longer be be, they'll no longer be deserving, and it will be aborted, just like the, the plan to take them into the land of Israel. Actually, a similar uh, event is going to happen. The Ched HaMaraglim scuppered the whole plan. It was re revised in, and, and revisited, and ultimately, they never did enter the land until the following generation, all those years later. Says the Al-Sheikh, and he uses this expression a few places in, in this context of the uh, Golos Mitzrayim, he says, Kimashkon Gadol Yeshlahem. They have a great um, uh, security. Mashkon is like a security on a loan. Uh, if a person 
uh, buys a, a house and the name needs to put up a mortgage. So the mortgage is on the house, meaning that the bank will lend him a lot of money, but it's with the understanding that if he defaults on the loan, the bank will seize the, seize the asset. The Jewish people have a very uh, a great mashkon. He says the mashkon that they have, kihine arba machanos shechina shem tzivosai begolos hashina shem Yisrael. The four wings of the heavenly encampment of the Shechina are in exile with the Jewish people. Shechinta begalusa, the divine presence is in is in the exile. Sorry, I'm just have a momentary technical issue. Yeah, sorry. Shechinta begalusa the the divine habitation is in exile with the Jewish people in Mitzrayim. And that's how he explains the expression in the following two verses, four and five. Paro won't listen. I will extend my hand against Egypt. I will bring out my host, my legions, I should take out my legions, my people uh, of the children of Israel. So it's the simple understanding. Tzivosai refers to the Jewish people. Says the Al-Sheikh, Tzivosai alludes to the Shechina, the heavenly host, the legions, the, the legions of the angels that are the heavenly encampment that is in exile. So as long as the Jewish people remain in Egypt, the Shekhinah remains in exile. The time has come for the redemption of the Shekhinah. And this is an idea that we find in the Lurianic Kabbalah. It's also found in the Kabbalah of Moshe Cordovero. We've mentioned it for those who are with us in the Or HaChayim days. It's a theme that he returns to many times. The reason for the exile is the idea of the, the holy sparks. But the original exile of the Shekhinah was in Mitzrayim. The time for the ex, for the redemption is at hand for the redemption from Mitzrayim, and therefore the, the heavenly uh, habitation, the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly presence, the divine presence is in exile. The Jewish people, so to speak, have that as their companion, as their mashkon, and therefore he, that's how he explains that expression uh, and he says that if I am concerned to redeem myself, so to speak, I will redeem the Jewish people as well. This is the ultimate, the, the, the most exalted guarantee for their redemption is the fact that the Shekhinah itself is in exile uh, as well. And he says that's how we explain the, the, ter the turn of phrase um, he says, Esami like means with my people. Together with my people, Israel, which is the main point, is to redeem the Jewish people. But along with redeeming the Jewish people is the Shekhinah. And therefore, I will surely redeem them. Even though there may be a lot of uh, bumps along the road, but they will leave Egypt according to the schedule for that reason. And then he says, finally, in the next verse, post, okay, V'yadu Mitzrayim ki'ani Hashem, the Egyptians will know that I am God, but I'll take the Jewish people from their midst. He says that this secret, that that the 
Shekhinah is in exile. I'm not going to tell the Egyptians. I'm only going to tell them about redeeming and taking out the Jewish, which they also don't want to do, of course. They don't want to allow them to leave. But I'm not going to reveal to them this higher spiritual idea about Shekhinah Begalusa, that the Shekhinah itself is in exile. I'm not going to tell them that. So he says, this is the Pamalia Shelmala, and this is the reason that Moshe's four reasons to, for the, to be the reluctant redeemer were each like addressed in these five verses. I think it's a beautiful and, and uh, uh, brilliant analysis, which hints to these four concerns and resolves each of them. So again, at the simple level, Moshe was just saying, I don't speak well. I don't want to be the one to, to go to Para. It's not going well. At the deeper level, we said there are four reasons why he was reluctant for God's honor, for his own honor, for the well-being of the Jewish people, that they shouldn't suffer even more harsh persecution and torment as a result. And then the fourth reason he's concerned that the Jew, that the delay will mean that the Jewish people may not be worthy. And who knows, the whole plan may go awry by delaying. If this is a time of favor, let's take them out right now. And we've seen the answer to each of those four, which I don't need to review because we've already discussed them at length. We have a few more minutes, and I do want to share with you another shorter comment, a very beautiful comment as well. And uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing this chidush uh, of Rav Moshe al-Sheikh. And he mentions regarding the plague of blood, but he doesn't mention it at the beginning where the plague of blood is first uh, described, but only a bit later on towards the end of this commentary, he revisits it and he explains just very briefly that although we think of these 10 plagues that were brought about through Moshe Rabbeinu, that Hashem uh, like designated Moshe to be his agent to bring about the 10 plagues, but actually when we read the narrative, that's not the case at all. The first three plagues were brought about by Aharon. The next two were brought about by God himself. The next one, the sixth one, was brought about by all three of them together. The seventh, uh, eighth, and ninth were brought about by Moshe. And the tenth was brought about by God as well. So he says there are three through Aharon, three through Moshe, three through Hashem, and one through all of them. And he explains each of those plagues, why they were uh, brought about by each of those parties, etc. And a very... Um, like wide-ranging and profound way, and uh, I've deliberately chosen not to, excuse me, to go into that because I uh, chosen another another theme. But I want to tell you what he says about Makas Dam. Why was the plague of blood, in which the river turned to blood, why was it brought about by Aharon and not by Moshe? So Rashi mentions a well-known reason that. Uh, Moshe himself was a beneficiary from that river, saved his life. Therefore, it's not right that he should be the one to strike the river. He refers to that. But then he suggests a, another explanation. Actually, he has a, a further different explanation. But the one that I want to share with you is this one. And it's very beautiful. He quotes a medrash that the river was turned to blood. Of course, we know that the, the Nile is the most important source of prosperity for Egypt, even to this very day. And they worshiped the Nile, and the Nile was the key to their survival and their prosperity. All of that, of course, is certainly true. And Paro identified himself with the Nile, and he says he created the Nile and all of that. That is certainly true. But the Medrash says something further as well. 
that the Egyptians, as the Torah says explicitly, were concerned about the proliferation of the Jewish people, and they wanted to inhibit their natural growth. So they had a plan. They had a very, uh, uh, you could say, uh, uh, very nasty plan that the Jewish women of course, they wanted to use the mikveh. They wanted to, to use the Nile as a mikveh when the circumstances required them to do so. Now, it's true, of course, that Torah had not yet been given, and one can question whether the Jewish women, however righteous they were, were familiar with the regiment of the laws of Mida, monthly immersion in the mikveh. Okay, but for the purposes of this madrash, we are working with the, the expectation that the Jewish women were accustomed to using the mikveh. And the Egyptians said, you can't use the Nile. They prevented the women from accessing the water, and therefore they were unable to uh, purify themselves on a monthly basis or at all, and therefore they were kept separate from their husbands, and therefore the women were not able to, to, uh, to reproduce. And this was part of their uh, plan to inhibit the Jewish uh, population growth. Just by the way, the late Rabbi Abraham Levy, some of you may know him or may know of him, uh, mentioned to me uh, years ago that he, there are five uh, uh, children in the Levy family, three, three boys and two girls. Actually, uh, I knew them all, some are no longer living. Um, and he said to me that his mother had two separate families of children. I forget whether it was two and three or three and two, but there are five years in approximately in between the arrival of the older children. And then there was a long hiatus. And then the younger children were born within, uh, let's say a normal interval. He said, the reason for the gap of five or six years, he said, is that during the war, during World War II, they were evacuated to, I think to Morocco, and it wasn't possible to use a mikvah. There were a number of years where his mother could not use a mikvah, and therefore she had no children during that time. He said that, that he's, he and his siblings uh, are divided into sort of two, two groups for that reason. So according to uh, the Medrash, this is true of the Jewish women as well. So the Medrash says that's why Hashem turned the water of the Nile into blood because they were unable to cleanse themselves from the blood of their monthly period. And therefore, by using the water of the Nile, the purifying waters of the river, and therefore they were, the Egyptians were punished, Mida Keneged Mida, that the river, the Nile River, which they relied upon, turned into blood. That's what the Medjur says. Says that Al-Sheikh, Maybe this is why Aharon is the one who brought it about. Why? Because Aharon, as we know, was the first great social worker. He was devoted to bringing peace between a man and his fellow and between husband and wife. And he says, therefore, because the Egyptians, through preventing the woman from immersing in the mikvah, there is no greater source of tension in a marriage than if it's not possible for weeks and for months, or who knows how long it lasted, uh, when the woman cannot immerse in the mikvah, and married life the way nature intended and the way the Torah intended it cannot be carried on because of the circumstances. So Aharon, who was all about bringing peace between husband and wife, 
he is the one who punished the Egyptians for what they did by turning the river into, into blood. So the, the possibility of resuming normal marital interaction, the harmony and the unity and the intimacy between a husband and wife, this is the greatest expression of love and harmony within a marriage, which Aharon sought to bring about if there was tension for whatever the reason may be, but the symbol of it is the ability to join together as a husband and wife after a woman immerses in the mikvah. So he suggests maybe this is why, a further reason why Aharon is the one who struck the Nile River, because uh, uh, it's consistent with his role as the one who brings peace between husband and wife. I think it's a very beautiful idea, a novel idea. I have not seen it elsewhere. Perhaps you have. I have not seen it elsewhere. So in Al-Sheikh, it's my pleasure to be able to share it with you tonight. Thank you to everyone for listening. And I wish you uh, Shabbat Shalom. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, for those who are coming to Kesha, we're going to speak about hard of hearing, hard of speech, Moshe's uh, um, uh, credibility problem. Moshe's credibility problem, hard of speech, hard of hearing. So please join us for that. And I wish everyone Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Truly brilliant share by Simon. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Wonderful Shabbos. Wonderful share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good Shabbos to everyone. Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Interesting thought, the last one about the plan. It's left, it's left. No.